0: I'm just grateful for this opportunity to be up here. Years ago, probably 12, 14 years ago, early in my walk with Christ, a friend gave me this CD um, on Romans 1 through 8. And it was one of those, and it spoke specifically to men, but it was like a punch in the gut every time I heard it because it challenged me. And I lost it over time. And uh, about six months ago, I started remembering some of the things I'd, I'd heard in that sermon. So I went thankful to the internet, I actually tracked it down, and I realized this guy preached a whole series on Romans, and I started at his first sermon, and I realized how little I knew about the book of Romans. I have some great, you know, scripture memorized from it. I can pull out, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and the wages of sin and death, and all these different passages, little tidbits out of Romans, but I really didn't understand the book. Um, So that's kind of what led me to start studying it myself and said, okay, this is a great opportunity for me to jump back into preaching. Um, so that's kind of what led me here. Uh, Pastor Stephen Davies says, the book of Romans is a book the church cannot live without in today's society. Martin Luther said, this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth its worth a Christian's while to not only to memorize it, Word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily, as, that, as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. One of the commentaries I'm reading, preparing for this, is Paul's writing this letter to a church that he's never visited, a church that was known for their faith. And you think about today's society, Churches are known for their music. Churches are known for their size. Churches are known for their pastors. Maybe he gives a great sermon. But a church, Paul's saying, is known for your faith. And he's hoping he's going to be able to visit there someday um, as a way to encourage. So this is a letter of encouragement. This is a letter of sharing truth with them. I originally planned on doing one chapter, go through the whole thing, spread it over a few years of, you know, about 15, 16 sermons, and then I started diving into it, and I cut it shorter, and today I'm going through verse 1. <laughs> so, um, because Paul has a lot in this introduction, so I have no idea how long it's going to take me covering Steve here and there to preach through the book of Romans. It's going to be years, <laughs> but, but I'm okay with that um, myself because it's, it's helping me to grow through some stuff. The church in Rome, it was a faithful church growing in one of the most sinful places in society back then. Paul answers a lot of questions. How do they live in light of sin going around in society? Um, you know, false gods and sexual immorality, corruption. Roman law allowed a parent to cast away a child. I read a letter or, or heard, you know, as I was going through a letter about a Roman a military official who his wife was expecting. He was away at battle. He sends her a letter and says, if I'm not home in time for the birth of our child, if it's a girl, cast it away. If it's a boy and it's sick, do the same. Right? That was Roman society. Um, there was lots of different gods. People could worship false gods. Most of those gods involved temple prostitution. The government was corrupt in Rome. Um, one of my favorite stories about Rome was the, Caesar ordered all the grain ships at one point to stay off the coast where no one could see them because he was losing control. And then he created a famine. And then all of a sudden he jumps in as savior and orders the grain ships to show up. The reality is that Rome was a pretty corrupt place, pretty rough place. You're allowed to worship any God you wanted in Rome as long as it didn't interfere with Rome's agenda. And Canada has never been more like Rome than it is today, right? We see that that slope in that society. The punishment for speaking out against sin is greater than the sin itself right now. It's, it's a reality of it. A joke, but if somebody abuses a puppy, there's more outcry than the abuse of a human being or a child. And that's where we live. Don't get me wrong, I love my puppy. She's a lot of fun, but she's not a human being, right? we see a government that's heading more and more hostile to Christianity. They love the church when we have soup kitchens, when we, you know, help with poor. We, we do one of our core mandates, right? Help widows, help orphans, help different people. They love that, but they don't, can't stand when we speak truth that directly goes against the agenda or whatever they're telling us. And, and that's it, but that's where we're living right now. But more than anything, the Book of Romans is a very, very deep theological book. It points us to God. It points us to His grace and our need for it, our, our desperate need through our sin. It's this deep. As I'm glancing through it, it's this deep gold mine that keeps coming from different angles, always pointing right back at the gospel message. And that's part of why I'm excited to preach for it, because it's uh, you know it's just this little bit. I've been excited. see so, you know, So let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you that we're here together, Uh, whether we're here or on Zoom, Lord, we thank you for this time together to worship you, to dive deeper into your word, Lord, to understand you better and understand our desperate need for you. And the fact, Lord, that you've, you've solved our biggest problem in our life. You've given us salvation. You've given us grace. You've given us your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray my, my words are clear, that it's your words and, and not mine, Lord, and that, um, that we just have a, a great time together worshiping and, and learning about you. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. So who, who is Paul? Most of what we know about Paul comes from the book Acts. Paul was originally called Saul. Then Jesus sh- appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Bright light came. Other people with him saw the bright light, but um, Jesus, or Paul was the only one who could hear the words. And Jesus said, Stop attacking me. Stop attacking my people. Stop attacking my church. Because Paul was going out there and he was arresting Christians. He was persecuting for them in faith. He was taking them, arresting them, taking them back to Jerusalem. And Jesus interrupted him and revealed the truth to him and changed him. Um, We see in Acts 22 that he was uh, taught by the rabbi Gamaliel. Uh, So he's well-versed in the Torah or the Old Testament. He was very knowledgeable in the scriptures. Paul was a Pharisee, right? That's the group that was constantly going after Jesus. As far as Jesus heals somebody and they say, hey, it's the wrong day or you're doing this wrong. Jesus does this good thing. And they were the ones who petitioned the Romans to crucify Jesus. So Paul was not a good guy in as far as the church goes. um, But God changed that. Jesus revealed himself. And Paul became the guy who wrote most of the letters in the Old Testament, or sorry, in the New Testament outside the Gospels. Uh, Paul was arguably one of the greatest missionaries who ever walked the earth. He spread, you know, to the Gentiles, to the Jews, in a large part of the Middle East, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. So Um, another thing about Paul is he was a Roman citizen. So Paul had, Rights above other people um, above most of the people of the day and that's what Paul I put together about Paul and this introduction is what what does Paul say about himself Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God God excuse me so Paul is saying one thing right he's saying he's a servant of Christ Jesus he's not saying In today's terms, he's a follower. Like, follower is a word we use very loosely today. I follow When I had Twitter before I deleted it, because it was just really bad for my thinking, I realized that, is I was following Justin Trudeau. Not because I agree what he says, but because I wanted to know as a leader of our country what's going on, right? We use that word follower loosely. We even use the word believer loosely. It's it's almost a watered-down word. But Paul's making a very strong statement. The actual Greek translation is the word slave. That's very significant in Roman society. It doesn't sit with us near as strong hearing that word slave because that's not something we have in society. If I use the word death, I spent a year and a half of my life deaf. I didn't hear anything, just almost a year and a half. When somebody comes to me and says, or I know somebody's deaf, or they talk about that, I have an understanding of that word more than predominantly just about everybody in this room, right? You can, you can use the word, you can kind of imagine it, different things, but until you know it, Roman society was 50% slaves. Many of the church, if not all the church, I, we don't know the numbers, but they were slaves to masters. And, Rome, and Paul's using that word slave, and it comes across very strong. Wikipedia says Roman slaves were themselves considered property under Roman law. So they weren't even, they were somebody else's property. They had no rights to personhood. They were not considered a person. Unlike Roman citizens by law, they could be subject to corporal punishment or beatings, sexual exploitation, torture, Summary execution. The most brutal forms of punishment were reserved for, for slaves. And we even see that in Acts. Paul was beaten at one point and then he makes a statement. He go, later he goes, I'm a Roman citizen. And there's a backpedaling because they go, wait, we, we shouldn't have beaten you, Paul. Right? Most of these people were not owned themselves as citizens. Right? They were owned by somebody else. And Paul's making a statement. Paul's going, my master, Jesus Christ, he owns me. He owns my body, he owns my time, he owns my life, he owns my money, he owns everything, every part of me. Paul's making that that very strong statement on who owns him, who is he under control of. And that, that was one of the toughest parts of going through through the sermon, looking at it, going, Jesus owns me. It's easy to sit up here, stand here, and say, I'm a, I'm a servant, I'm a slave. Jesus owns my life, but living it out in our hearts. And none of us are perfect. And that's the beauty of God's grace, that none of us are perfect. I had to look at myself and I looked at time, was one of my biggest areas I struggle with. I'm a very routine guy. I get up at 5 a.m., I'm, I go to the gym, I'm at my desk by 7. My dog knows. That at like 6, between 6 and 6.15, every night, unless I know something else is going on, we're going for a walk. Even in this horrible weather, which I really haven't enjoyed the last couple of days. But, but she knows, that my, my kids will laugh, but they would never have a shower at 9 p.m. Because I have a shower at 9 every night, and like I'm in bed at 9.30 because I get up at 5, right? So I struggle, and if I know things are going, like I got Bible study or I got this meeting or that, I twist, you know, juggle things, but when last minute things come up, I'm like, ah, can this wait? You know, that's an area of my life I, I struggle with. Yet from seven till three, every day, Monday to Friday, I walk into work and something can happen at work. I can have all the intentions. This is what I'm working on. Someone calls, there's an issue. I'll walk half a kilometer across the plant and just like that, go fix an issue. And it doesn't bother me. So I can walk in with a mindset for eight hours a day that I'm under submission to General Motors. They they own that eight hours, and there's nothing wrong. As a Christian, we're supposed to work harder jobs, but why is it I doesn't bother me at all during those eight hours? But the other 16, I'm like, oh, this is this is going on, and I get I get frustrated, right? And those are just one of the areas I had to look at. Go, okay, God, it's it's your time. It's not mine, right? The second thing Paul says in this statement is he's making a statement about his master, about Jesus. Right, Paul is well studied in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 15, um, actually has provisions for slaves. So I'm going to read Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 17. All right. If your brother, a he- Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, He shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your stock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. But if he says to you... I will no not go out from you because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you. Then you shall take an all and put it through his ear and in the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave you shall do the same. So slavery was a thing Jewish people. Um, in the Old Testament, and God put provisions there. He said, one is you're not stuck being somebody's slave or servant for those times, right? After six years, you're supposed to let them go, and you're supposed to bless them and provide them. But he put a bigger thing here. He said, and if your master treats you well, then you can make a proclamation and say, I'm going to stay under servitude to this person, to this master. And Paul's saying that. I'm willingly going under servitude. I'm willingly being a slave to Jesus. And it says a lot about the master. He's saying, my life is better with my master, Jesus Christ. I'd rather have this life than the free citizen Paul life that he had, right? And we have to look at Paul's life. Paul um, was a Pharisee. He obviously had respect from the, the leaders in Jerusalem because they gave him a letter and said, hey, you can go and arrest these people. So he's trusted. He probably wasn't starving. You know, we don't know these things for sure. He probably wasn't short of places to stay. He lived probably arguably a good life. And he went into a life where he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was arrested. And ultimately, um, tradition says that he was beheaded for his faith. Yet Paul's saying, my life is better with my master, Jesus Christ, than it is in the world. The third thing he's saying is, being a free citizen in Rome, Paul's saying, I have no other masters. I said, Rome was very tolerant to other religions. There's you, you read about statues to the unknown God. Right? The Acts talks about that. Is there's even a statue to a God that we in case we're missing one. Big business in Rome was temple prostitution and and temples and worship people were making false statues to false gods you were allowed to worship whatever god you wanted in rome you just couldn't be above caesar it couldn't get in the way of rome's agenda and paul's making a statement especially as a free citizen he's saying i have no other master it's just jesus christ those things were, you know, for me, just one of those things that I looked at and go, okay, God, where, where, are, you, where are you showing me that I need to get better in those things? And none of us are perfect. And, and they say, that's the that's joy of the grace, you know, the gospel, the good news that we get, that we aren't perfect, that we will never be perfect at this. We just called to continuously push ourselves and get better. The next thing Paul says about himself is he's called to be an apostle, he establishes authority. So he tells people in the church, this is who I'm serving. Then he goes on and says, I'm called to be an apostle. Um, In this context, he's specifically saying he was chosen by God to be his messenger. Uh, He's speaking with an authority that that we don't have, that I don't have, that Pastor Steve doesn't have. He's speaking as a messenger specifically from God with a very specific mission. Um, And we see that through Paul's letters. It's kind of a common theme. He He defends his apostleship. Um, Part of the reason for that is because he wasn't with the disciples. He never walked with the Lord before he went to the cross, died, and rose again. So Paul's saying, I still have this authority. God still gave me the authority. In Galatians, he told us that... uh, In Galatians 1, verse 15 and 16, he said... But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So Paul, Paul starts out there and he says he was set apart before he was born. God had a plan all along for Paul. I mean, God put Paul, he was taught by a very wise rabbi in the Old Testament. God gave him all these All this information, all this knowledge of scripture, he prepared him beforehand and then took him when he was at his worst and changed his direction. Changed him from persecuting Christians to spreading the gospel. Yet he had all that knowledge. He wasn't somebody who all of a sudden then the first day of becoming a Christian goes, okay, well, I gotta go study the scriptures. I gotta understand this. He had this knowledge that God had prepared in him already He says it was by grace that God gave him that knowledge that he revealed um, through Jesus with a specific plan to teach the Gentiles. And then he, Paul also says he did not consult with anyone. So he's saying that God specifically revealed this truth to him. It wasn't a pastor, it wasn't a parent, it wasn't you know a neighbor or a sermon or a podcast or any of these things that, that we have that God usually Uses to reach us, he's saying, God Himself, through Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, revealed this truth to me, right? and that's, that's speaking to Jewish people. He's saying God spoke to me. This wasn't somebody else. This wasn't man. In First Corinthians, verse fifteen, uh, verse three, three through eight, for I delivered to you, as of its first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am least of the apostles. Right? So Paul is saying, further establishing his authority, he goes, I was personally visited by Jesus on the remote D- Damascus. God shared, Jesus shared this truth with me. So he's kind of the second part in that letter is he establishes his authority. The last part of the letter, or that verse, the most important part is, he talks about he was set apart for the gospel of God. Right? Rome was a place where new religions were always popping up. People travel there. That's where you can spread your religion to the most people. They had gods for you know, fertility and war and you know, farmers for crops, all these different things, right? And Paul is saying, set apart for the gospel of God. It's God's gospel. It's not Paul's gospel. It's not some other man's gospel. It's God's gospel. The gospel literally means good news. What is the good news? And, I mean, if you showed up on a winter stormy morning, you probably, to come out of church, you know what the good news is. But I'm going to walk through how Paul walks through in the in there because it really is the most important part of of a sermon. It's the part I get excited about because it's what God did for me, for many of you, for those who believe in him. Outside of Christianity, every religion in the world is based on do something good. Is it a ritual? Is it a, a, a way to worship? Is it an act of service? Is it saying certain prayers? Is it you know doing certain things? Everything is based on doing a certain thing and getting the results you want which is usually if you believe in a god getting heaven versus as opposed to hell that I, or I'm a good enough person. And when we look through that argument the the whole works idea trying to be a good enough person it quickly falls apart. I try to think of myself as a pretty good person in the world's terms. I pay my taxes, I Faithful husband, I try to be a a good father to my kids. I work hard. Um, You know, I taught youth group for a while. I do do some charity stuff through work that I occasionally get involved in. I even teach Sunday school, which I find harder than preaching this sermon because those kids are—it's harder to keep a kid's audience. You know, but but in the world's terms, I—you know—my my resume looks pretty good on those things, but if 20, 30 years from now, I go and I assault somebody and I go up to the judge and I say to that judge, your honor, I am guilty. You're absolutely right. I should be arrested. I assaulted this person. But I want you, judge, to to look at these good things that I've done in my life. And then just, that's it. You're, You're satisfied. I don't need to pay a penalty. I don't need to go to jail. I don't need to pay a fine, nothing. I did these good things in my life. That's not a just judge. I don't know what the penalty is for assault, but I should go to jail. I should do something because I violated a law. Yet the world sits back and we go, you know, I I say collectively we, we go back and we say, okay, God, uh, yeah, I, I did a bunch of bad things in my life, but look at all the good things I did. Just let me through. Everything's good here but that's not what the Bible tells us. Paul tells us that we've all sinned. We're all short of the glory of God. Right from birth, right from a young age, we all have sin in our lives. Who here's kids have lied to them before? Like, even a small lie. <laughs> right? is <Renita's> like, <laughs> right? Small lies. Like, even from, you know, a young age, Mom walks into the kitchen. There were twelve cookies on the plate. There's eleven cookies there now. There's crumbs on the kid's face, and you're like, "Mom, where's the cookie? Um, There's cookie. I don't know. No idea. Right? Stealing and lying. Like it's, you know, you walk into the room. You got two kids. You guys are gonna learn all about that. Hey, you got two kids. One's crying. The other's sitting there holding a toy. Who? You know what happened? He stole it. Right. Like, we're all sinful. The thing is, as a parent, you never taught your kid to lie. You never sat them aside and said, when I'm coming to talk to you about something, tell me a different story just so you think that you can get away with it. It's just our sinful minds trying to figure out a way to not get a bad result. Is how can I get the good result of not getting in trouble, right? And Paul's telling us we've all sinned. We're all short of God's standard. Paul goes on later on in Romans and he tells us that the wages or the cost of our sin is death. It has a penalty to be paid. Sin's price has to be paid. The penalty is separation from God. It's an eternity in hell. And as a Christian, when you're talking to someone who's an unbeliever and you know in the back of your head that's, that's one of the most offensive and, and hard to hear things you can ever tell somebody. But, it, but it's truth. And it doesn't matter. Like I can't pretend the world's flat or state the world's flat. It's not gonna make it true, right? I don't know if anybody believes that. But but like there's things in life, you can say certain things and say, I believe this, but if it's not true, it doesn't matter. But when we come to the Bible, and we're sitting here, and we're going, okay, this is, this is God's truth, and he's saying that there's a penalty. There's a cost to sin. The cost is a separation from God for eternity, an inability to have a relationship, even if we're good people in the world's terms, because Psalms tells us that our best works are like filthy rags. Paul goes on in Roman 8, Romans 8 says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me now? None other than Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, I'm wretched. I need Jesus to save me. The gospel message is that God gave us a way to have the relationship, even though we're sinful. God sent his only son to live with us. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He submitted to God's authority, to the Father's authority. And then he went to the cross and he died an innocent man on the cross. Three days later rose again to conquer death, to pay the penalty for us. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. Paul tells us in Ephesians that it's grace we've been saved, not based on our works. We can't add to it. I can't go, I'm going to trust in Jesus, but my backup plan is being a good person. We can't say I forget about Jesus. I, you know, the world say, I'm just going to be a good person, and I'm sure God is just going to let me into heaven. You know, whether this Jesus guy here is real or not, right? We cannot add or take away or substitute the work that Jesus did on the cross. The gospel message that God shares is that Jesus paid the sacrifice for us. We can't add to it, can't substitute it, and that it's sufficient for our sins. If we look at Acts, we see the story of Stephen. And this is really the, the Bible's first introduction to Paul. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He was the first person who died for his faith. He's publicly proclaiming Jesus Christ as his God, and the Jewish people... Decide to stop that and they stone him to death and paul who was saul then is standing there and he says you know he can two things it says in there is one they laid their feet or their coats and their robes at his feet like he was you know he seemed to be like a guy who was in charge and the second thing was paul it said paul agreed with it condoned it paul encouraged stoning of stephen you read through the next few verses in that story in Acts and you see that Paul started going house to house arresting Christians. In today we would have really strong words for Saul. We, the news would say he's, we'll say, terrorist or something like that. That's the reality of, of, in today's words, what they would say about Paul. Yet God's grace was sufficient to cover Paul's sins. Paul knew where he stood in the actions of his life. Yet he trusted God's grace. I, I encourage you, take this good news to your neighbors. Take this good news to your coworkers. It is the hardest part of being a Christian <laughs> is sharing that good news with people. It's, it is the best news and I, it's something I struggle with. But when we see that Paul says, I'm a servant, he had the authority. We don't have that authority. We said, I'm a servant, and this is the good news I'm going to share. We understand that God has solved our, our biggest problem in our life. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you, and we're we're thankful for your good news, Lord. We We know that all of us we'll never meet your standard lord we can try as hard as we want we can try to be perfect slaves perfectly under submission to you lord and we will never get there but i pray that each month each year each day we are we're taking that little step closer lord to to recognizing you as our master in our lives and and lord it was it was challenging for me to to work through this passage and and realize where i where I fall down, where I fail, Lord. And I just thank you for your grace. I thank you that you've shown me your love through my sin, through um, the ways that I, I turn away from you, Lord. And I pray that you're, you're moving us as a, as a church to, to love you more, to trust you more, to submit to you more, and, and to show this, this good news and this grace to our neighbors and our friends, our coworkers who don't know you, Lord, and that your gospel message is going is going around the world. And Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. Thank you that through our sin, we, you are still good and you still love us, Lord, and that you've given us this way to have relationship with you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.